I have with me today a guest that I have been wanting to bring to you uh, for a long time. We've made some appearances together on Newsmax, and uh, I follow everything this guy does because he is dialed into the national and the international scene when it comes to uh, so many security issues. And he's got a new book coming out, and uh, I knew that you had to meet him in person. Charles Marino, welcome to the show. Thanks, Betsy. Good to be with you. Hey, so I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask every single cop I bring on this show. Why'd you become a cop? Yeah, you know, uh, worked for the uh, for the city of New York for the uh, Bureau of Fraud Investigation, doing a lot of white collar crimes, uh, plain clothes. Um, it was during uh, the New York City initiative to crack down on welfare fraud. Uh, and really got a good taste for the work. And from there, uh, went to the Secret Service. Uh, did a 20-year career there, finishing up uh, running the field office in San Francisco, California, but had a lot of experience doing protection with Presidents Clinton, Bush, Obama, and then Vice President Biden. Um, it was really a great career, allowed me to help a lot of people, work with a lot of great people uh, in a really great profession. You know, one of the things as a, a senior level Secret Service agent, um, you do a lot of coordination of uh, uh, high level security details, working with a lot of people. I've been, you know, just as a patrol cop, uh, you know, on the tiny end of those details. And uh, it's pretty extraordinary what you have to do. And you took that experience and you rolled it into the private sector. Talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, in addition to the Secret Service, I also uh, was was blessed with being assigned over to the Department of Homeland Security as a senior law enforcement advisor to then Secretary Janet Napolitano, where I oversaw uh, a lot of the Homeland Security initiatives, like implementing the National Terrorism Advisory System when we did away with the color-coded threat system, and also the If You See Something, Say Something national campaign, which I was a part of the team uh, there that implemented that and expanded it throughout the United States. So really a great opportunity to do a lot of things, uh, all of which combined with the Secret Service really drew my interest in the geopolitics uh, of the business that we did and understanding the nuances uh, of why certain things around the world happen uh, the way they do. And it seems time after time, history repeats itself. Uh, and so I am a student of history uh, of the world. And I believe that it plays a significant role in how we solve many of these complex security problems. You know, we're in an era now where uh, we're, you know, like our school system, some of our media, they're literally trying to either erase or rewrite American history. And we're a very young country comparatively uh, to the rest of the world. How dangerous is it to ignore or try to restructure historical events involving the not just the United States, but the world? Yeah, well, we do have those people that want to change our history uh, and certainly our future. We now have the influence of social media uh, where all of these beliefs move at the speed of light. Um, and then we have people that basically try and talk the American public out of 
uh, the fact that what they're seeing right now unfold in the world isn't really happening. Uh, and just look the other way and don't worry about it. We don't need to secure our schools, right? Or, you know, we don't have a problem overseas. The border is not being invaded right now. Um, and I think the American people need to snap out of it. Um, they need to turn on their TVs. They need to travel around. They're starting to see the impacts of poor policies in their communities now. Um, and they need to be their own judges. So you are trying like heck to uh, help inform the American public. And uh, to that end, you've got a new book coming out. Now, I'm sitting right here, 80 miles from the southern border in Arizona. How much of a problem is the border in this country? It's a huge problem. Uh, and those of us that had the opportunity to work in this sector of enforcing the border and our immigration laws knew long ago when this administration was making the promises it was while it was campaigning that this was going to be a big problem. Uh, we also knew that the administration's disdain for the Trump administration and all of the policies that they implemented related to the border and immigration were going to be done away with, not because they weren't working, but just because there was this overall disdain by the Biden administration to get rid of everything that they did. And then to finish, we knew that there was going to be no strategic replacement for anything that they stood down. And that's why we find ourselves where we do now. We knew it was going to be a huge humanitarian and national security crisis. We knew that it's impossible to vet all of these millions of people that are coming into the country. The vetting is only as good as the systems you vet against. And the truth is, many of these uh, countries don't have reliable systems to vet against, or they're adversarial countries that we just don't share information with. So we're in real trouble right now. The name of my book is Terrorists on the Border and in the Country. Uh, and I am of the firm belief that we've already been infiltrated. There are terrorists among us already in the country. Uh, that have exploited these weak policies and they've made their way into the country and they lie in wait to attack our principles and our values and our physical infrastructure. The very definition of terrorism is someone who is trying to change beliefs or ideology. What do you think, what do you anticipate we will see? Because we saw, you know, 9-11-01, that was a, a philosophy of, of radical Islam, of hatred for uh, America. What do you believe and who do you believe um, it, it are influencing and infiltrating American society and laying in wait now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think it depends on what, uh, what group you're talking about coming in. Uh, for example, we've seen in, in almost one thousand percent increase of Chinese nationals. Okay. We know that China uh, doesn't play fair when it comes to intellectual property, when it comes to valuation of currency, when it comes to corporate espionage and things like that. But if you look at it from a terrorism standpoint or a future act of war, what easier way to start a war than instead of launching a missile from China, start the war within? start attacking our critical infrastructure, our power, our water, everything else, our electricity, right? So, I mean, if you look at, this is almost a Trojan horse operation. 
uh, that we're experiencing on the border. Now, if you're talking about proxies like Hezbollah and Hamas uh, at the behest of Iran, uh, we know what that's going to look like. That's likely going to be a terrorist strike uh, as uh, what we saw on 9-11 uh, with a high impact, high value uh, attack on Americans. Um, so we could go through all of these groups. They all have their alignment uh, to different things. And the United States has a history with each and every one of them. Um, but they're all coming in for different reasons. And at the and at the and at the behind the scenes of all this, we've got the Mexican cartels who the American people need to understand will work with anybody. You're right. You know, we now know that the Mexican cartels are making more money from the trafficking of migrants than they make even from, uh, you know, the the sale and distribution of drugs like fentanyl. And and yeah. and that's another, you know, thing that we see at the border. I mean, there's enough fentanyl in this country right now to kill every man, woman and child in the United States. And yet it's rarely talked about. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, Betsy, it, it really it's we bring up uh, 9-11 and, you know, the government promised, you know, never again. Uh, there was a there was a failure of imagination to take the intelligence serious enough back then and predict the possible outcomes from that. And I testified before the Judiciary uh, Committee on, on Border and Immigration, and we specifically spoke about entry of terrorists across the border. Um, and never in my life did I think that after a significant event like 9-11, would we see our own government undercut every single effort that was implemented uh, to prevent another 9-11. But here we have it. We have a presidential administration, a secretary of Homeland Security running the very department that was created in response of 9-11, undercutting the efforts of everybody. You bring up drugs, look at what the fentanyl numbers are doing. Look at the hundreds of thousands of deaths. I ask you this, if we had intelligence that the cartels were producing anthrax and were planning on bringing that anthrax across the border into the United States, would we take military action against them? I think we would. So anthrax isn't killing as many Americans as fentanyl is. Why are we not treating the fentanyl problem as a chemical biological issue uh, that's being brought across the border and killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. And the DEA uh, is so far behind the eight ball now because again, of the policies uh, that are making this problem simply unmanageable. Now I've done a lot of international travel. I've seen other countries' borders and there's always a lot of military involved in addition to law enforcement. <laughs> Why? Why don't we see more military at our southern and northern border? And uh, what are the what are the risks involved in that? You know, from a policy perspective, a security perspective, what are the risks and rewards, in your opinion? Yeah. So right now there are limitations under the law. Uh, that prevents the military from being as fully involved from a law enforcement standpoint uh, in terms of what we would want CBP and ICE to be doing, for example. So when we see them being sent down to the border right now, whether it's the full-time military or, or National Guard, they're limited in what they can do. And, and that's why you see the administration uh, using them to continue to process 
uh, in as many migrants as they can right now, they're usually limited to visual observation and maybe can de deploy some additional technologies to help with that. So we really would need to see uh, a change uh, in the laws. We need to see more presidential actions to give the military that authority to serve in, in what I would say an effective way uh, if they became part of our border security. So really it lies with the executive branch and the president of the United States to dictate how he wants the military to be used down at the border. Uh, but look, we've got a lot of resources down there that are just not being allowed to do the jobs that they were, that they were created to do. Uh, you know, immigration and uh, customs enforcement is prevented from doing interior deportations right now. We've got sanctuary cities protecting illegal migrants uh, who are committing further crimes in these cities and not turning them over to ICE for deportation. And we've got CBP just participating in the processing of migrants and really serving an administrative function, which is something that they're not supposed to be doing. Are we going to be able to get to a point in this country if we have a change of heart or a change of administration to do the mass deportations that will likely be necessary? Or do you think that won't be necessary? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, another good question. Uh, I know there's there's a lot of talk out there right now that if President Trump comes back in, it'll be the largest mass deportation operation in the history of the country, which, by the way, is a country we have done before uh, in our past. There is a way to do it. Um, what you have to do is you have to incorporate it. And you know, in Arizona, there's a program called Secure Communities uh, that we used under the Obama administration. And what you want to do uh, is you want to incorporate this into everyday life. And that is to say that if you have people that are in the country illegally and they are not following the law, they are prioritized for deportation and you get them out of the country immediately. And as you're encountering as many of these illegal migrants as you can, that's how you deport. But uh, we also have to start going at this alone and understand that Mexico uh, is really not a big part of the solution here, if at all. Uh, they believe in open borders under their current president. Uh, Biden believes in open borders. That's why you see the policies in such synergy right now. Um, they're ineffective because of the power of the cartels. So you're not going to see any major operations taking place in Mexico, in addition to all the corruption of the institutions. So we need a change. We need things like remain in Mexico put back in place, physical barriers, technology, the manpower that can do their job. And then you need to start that deportation uh, within the interior of the United States, because there are people here that do not have the best interests of the United States at heart. This much we know. You don't need to be a homeland security expert to know this. We hear a lot about our broken immigration system. That is a, a political talking point on on all sides. Um, and and it's true that you know just anecdotally, when you talk to people who try to become American citizens or get here legally to work, that it is a difficult situation. If you were the guy in charge right now, what do you think needs to be fixed about our broken immigration system? Yeah, well, first I'll address what I call the biggest false narrative that's been coming out from this administration from the start. And that is essentially, if you listen to their words, there's no way to secure the border unless we have immigration reform. That is completely false. As a matter of fact, I argue it the other way. 
you can't even begin to have a conversation about immigration reform unless you have operational control of the border. So let's just stop that in its tracks. What they push out from the podium makes absolutely no sense from a Homeland Security perspective. Now, what I can tell you is, is that there is low hanging fruit when it comes to immigration reform. Look, we have documented dreamers that have been in this country that have not been violating the law, that have now gone and gotten their college degrees. But at some point in time, that number's at close to 8 million. We've got to cut it off now with, we're letting in at the end of this administration, it's, gonna, it's predicted to be over 12 million that have been let in under this administration. And that doesn't even include the gotaways and those that have gone completely undetected. So realistically, we're probably talking over 15 million. So how, how long are we gonna just keep this going? And how many people are we gonna grandfather in, so to speak? So there needs to be a very deliberate process to say, look, this is what we're gonna allow. Uh, we're not gonna fast track them to citizenship. There's gotta be some catch up here. You know, we're talking about things like taxes. Communities haven't been funded the way they need to be funded. They're still not being funded by these people that aren't paying into the system, right? They're leveraging emergency rooms as their primary care physicians. They're utilizing police services, fire services, medical services, school services, right? So at some point in time, you need to come up with a way. How do you catch up on paying into the system to make all these communities that you've been living in whole? We see, you know, video after video after video of uh, migrants that are being taken to sanctuary cities like New York and Chicago and Seattle and L.A. and on and on and on. Um, and, you know, we hear we hear a lot of blame. This is all Governor Abbott's fault. This is somebody it's all somebody else's fault, uh, even though these city leadership invited these people in. Just from a from a, a local standpoint, um, when you have all of these migrants, many of them unknown, so many from so many different countries, so many different cultures, um, what's the day-to-day -day danger for Americans living in those communities? Yeah, it's the unknown unknowns. And, and uh, it was good to finally hear the FBI director, Ray, come out in his congressional testimony. Uh, and I think your, your listeners will be able to tell he's been a little more aggressive. It's almost like an aggravated tone. And I don't blame him because he's sitting next to uh, Secretary of Homeland Security uh, side by side testifying before Congress, where the Homeland Security Secretary saying the world is just great. There's no threats here. But yet the policies back to the undermining of our national security, it's completely undermining the efforts of the FBI uh, in, in, in their tasking of preventing the next terrorist attack. So it's the unknown unknowns in these communities. You know, after uh, or, you know, yeah, after the events of October 7th, we saw the open anti-Semitism um, in the United States, especially on college campuses from some, you know, political leaders and even some media. How does that affect our national security? Yeah, look, it's immigration. Um, right before he passed away, Henry Kissinger commented on this with respect to the immigration that was being allowed in Europe, specifically in Germany. And he said, look, if, if you want to see the demise of a country, 
have uncontrolled immigration. And, and this is exactly what we're seeing in the United States. Again, back to the fact that we're letting people in that don't share American values. They're not being vetted. And this is what we're seeing. And again, back to the deportations. I'm a big proponent. You have kids here on student visas that are that are protesting uh, with this horrible rhetoric on the streets of deport them, deport them. If they're not happy here, if these are the beliefs that they have, get them out of the country. Because you know why? One of the unknown unknowns is radicalization. And if they're holding those opinions about the Jewish community, what do you think they would be willing to do? And how easy are they to be radicalized to the point of carrying out some type of attack here in the United States? This is where we've taken our eye off the ball. This is where our, our policymakers have not been thinking about the big picture and the potential repercussions. We're losing this country. It's a fact. Everybody knows it. Everybody feels it. Nobody likes it. They're seeing the deterioration of their cities, but our policymakers don't have the audacity to cut off funding to sanctuary cities. Exactly. It's it's extraordinary. Charles and Marina, I have about 87 more questions, so I'm just going to have to have you back in a few months. But uh, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Where can people find you, pre-order the book, and uh, follow you on social media? Sure. The book's uh, uh, up on presale on Amazon. Again, terrorists on the border and in our country, uh, charlesmarino.com. And on X, formerly known as Twitter, Charles underscore Marino. I tell you what, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And if you'd like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.